Chapter 3 of Snarled Identities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Snarled Identities by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 3 Not So Dead After All. Two days later, a striking looking, conspicuously well groomed man presented himself at Nick Carter's door. He did not give his name, which is not to be wondered at under the circumstances, for the caller was Green-Eye Gordon, not his ghost, but the man himself, substantial flesh and blood, escaped convict and first-class criminal. For once, Chick's intuitions had been keener than his chief's. The younger detective had been inclined to question the validity of Gordon's death, in the absence of any more conclusive testimony than that given in the first accounts of the fire. Nick, however, had been in a mood to discourage such skepticism, perhaps because of that relief to which he had confessed. The fact was that it was Green Eye who had escaped, and not the yegg from Buffalo. Gordon had stumbled over the latter's body during that mad rush for safety. The yegg was by no means dead at the time, but had been overcome by the smoke, and without a moment's hesitation, Gordon had determined to profit by the encounter. He had no definite plan, but it was characteristic of him that whereas the others were interested only in escaping the flames, he was looking for the opportunity to escape from the prison itself, and was prepared to profit by every promising circumstance. It occurred to him at once that an exchange of coats would be to his advantage, and he proceeded at once to make the exchange stripping off the unconscious man's coat and putting his own halfway on in place of it. The reason for this may be easily guessed. The gray coats, for stripes are no longer in vogue in New York State, bore each man's prison number, and therefore by such a simple exchange, identities could be shifted temporarily. Gordon's number was 39,470, and of course it was known to all the keepers and prisoners as standing for the identity of the formidable Green Eye. The other man's number, on the other hand, had no particular significance, for the egg was an ordinary criminal of comparatively little intelligence, who had not made himself conspicuous in any way, either in or out of the prison. Consequently, if there should prove to be later on any reason to believe that Libby was missing, his absence would not be likely to cause any great commotion for it would be taken for granted that his capture was only a question of time. Gordon had reasoned shrewdly as usual, and had thus, by his own promptness and resourcefulness, put himself in the way of the luck that subsequently favored him. He had feigned an injury, and had thrown himself down in the prison courtyard, after taking care to stagger close to the main gates, and a shadow of the projecting section of the wall, there he was ignored, for the flames in the burning wing were mounting higher and higher, and all the men were not yet out of it. It was some minutes before Green Eye's chance had come, but it did come, as he felt sure it would. One of the guards rushed past him and approached a small door on the one side of the big double gates. Evidently the man had been sent on some important errand, which would take him outside the prison walls. 
the keeper looked behind him with a wary eye to make sure that he was not followed he had fears of a general break for liberty but apparently no one was paying any attention to him therefore he excitedly inserted a key in the lock and after some fumbling opened the door it was then that gordon had pounced upon him one blow had been enough it caught the unfortunate guard behind the ear and sent him hurtling through the opening in a moment the convict had followed gordon dashed across the road before the vanguard of the crowd from the town had reached the spot and dodging through the extensive lumber yard made his way to the outskirts of Danamora, his goal being a certain tumble-down abandoned house. There he found what he sought, a moisture-proof box of considerable size, containing a complete outfit of clothing, an automatic of the latest model, and no less than five hundred dollars in gold. We have hinted that Ernest Gordon was no ordinary criminal and the truth of that has doubtless begun to shine through this narrative. Here, at any rate, is striking evidence of it. Green Eye had always preferred to work alone, as many of the most successful criminals have done. He had friends, however, and one of these had carried out his directions. The gates of Clinton Prison had not even closed behind Gordon, when the latter had begun to plan for a possible escape, and the planting of this box played an important part in the arrangement. During his many months in the prison, Green Eye had not succeeded in liberating himself. But now that the fire had enabled him to escape, the box was waiting for him, thanks to his unusual foresight. Thus it was that he had completely eluded pursuit. The authorities were looking for a commonplace, unimaginative yegg who went by the name of Shang Libby and who might be expected to retain some, at least, of his prison garments. It is little wonder, therefore, that they failed to capture the polished and super-daring Gordon, who lost no time in starting for New York City in a sleeping car. The fugitive's first thought when he reached the metropolis was one of revenge. He had no idea of killing Nick Carter for the part the latter had played in his downfall, for murder had never been in his line. There were many other kinds of revenge, however, and Gordon was determined to avail himself of one or more of them. He wished to humiliate Nick to the utmost, if possible, and incidentally to do so in such a way that his success would line his pockets with gold. He had a plan when he presented himself at Nick's door, but it was lacking in many details. For these he had decided to leave to the inspiration of the moment. In any case, however, he meant to palm himself off as a would-be client, and having thus gained the detective's confidence, to proceed with the rest of the scheme, or some modification of it. "'Is Mr. Carter in?' he asked anxiously, when the butler opened the door. "'No, sir,' the servant replied, noting with approval the visitor's apparent prosperity and air of importance. Mr. Carter is out of town at present. Is it possible? For how long? He went away day before yesterday, and expected to be absent for two weeks. How unfortunate! I have a case of the utmost importance, the sort of thing no one else can handle, the caller said. 
with a semblance of profound disappointment. One of his assistants might help me to some extent, however, or bring the matter to Mr. Carter's attention by telegraph. Again the butler shook his head regretfully. He was being very indiscreet, but he did not suspect it for a moment, owing to the impression the stranger made upon him. "'I'm afraid that's out of the question, too, sir,' he answered. "'There is no one at home who could attend to you. "'It's the first time it's happened in years.' "'The stranger seemed greatly distressed. "'This is terrible,' he cried. "'I don't know what I shall do if I can't get a hold of Mr. Carter. "'I would be very sorry to break up his vacation, "'but I'm sure if he knew the circumstances "'he would not hesitate for a moment.' Some very prominent people are involved, and unless something is done speedily, there will be nothing short of a national scandal. Surely you will give me Mr. Carter's address, will you not? The butler hesitated and fell. End of chapter 3 Recording by John Brandon